Hi, Adam. Hi, it's an honor to talk to you, Mr. Robbins. I'm a huge fan of not just Dragon Slayer, but Corvette Summer and Batteries Not Included and many other things that you, you've done over the years. So, uh, and, uh, and your work on Close Encounters. Let's not forget about that. So <laughs> thank you. Where are you at the moment, Adam? Are you in New York or? Uh... I'm, I'm in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's I where see. I'm at. Okay, no, it's yeah. uh, Eastern Standard Time. Just was wondering. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed my movies. That's great. It means a lot. <laughs> yes, I, uh, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Ray Morton, wrote a book about the making of Close Encounters, and he oh, said he had spoken with you. And yes, you were, yes. Yeah. I have that uh, book here in my office. It's somewhere. <laughs> the bookshelf. Yeah, no, he did a great job. Yeah, Ray's a great, great, a great friend of mine. And uh, so, yeah, he, he spoke highly of you. So anyway, I don't want to waste your time. Let me jump in this right quick. Um, I rewatched the movie last week. Uh, the transfer is spectacular. Uh, I thought it was terrific. Uh, just the 4K image was amazing. So I want to vouch for that. Anybody that's watching this, they need to pick it up if you're a fan of Dragon Slayer. And even if you haven't seen Dragon Slayer, you need to see Dragon Slayer. <laughs> So uh, I just wanted to get a little bit about the genesis of the idea. I think we're talking about 1979, um, and it's somewhat, I, I believe my research says it's uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice was maybe the uh, source material that kind of gave you the idea for it. or In part, yes. Um, there, there was a combination of things that um, maybe they weren't that clear and specific to me at the moment, but in retrospect, <laughs> I look back on it and kind of identify um, one of which, um, and an important one, is the fact that um, we were, Hal and I were very much around when George was creating ILM. And we got to know um, Dennis Murin, Phil Tippett, and um, Ken Ralston, uh, Bruce Nicholson, the core group, the heads of departments. Uh, and, and we watched uh, and were very much around when uh, they were executing all the uh, special effects for the Star Wars. And uh, we thought it would be a good idea to take all that horsepower and apply it to a different part, a different world. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why not put that machine to to use in an, another world? So that was a big component behind this. There was also the fact that um, Hal um, uh, forced me to, out of his enthusiasm, to read Lord of the Rings, and I, like Hal, got very excited about that and. It just seemed a, a very fertile arena, the idea of, of, uh, of um, the, particularly Smog, that dragon. And so, um, and yes, I was a fan of, uh, we both were fans of, of um, uh, Fantasia and the Mickey Mouse and, the, and, and that whole thing, the, the, um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is very much the Peter McNichol role in this. Mm -hmm. But um, we also um, were getting in touch with an idea that governed um, uh, more than one movie in my case, which is what if you create a world that is very real, very dense, even gritty, and you inject into that world a single fantastic element? And what, what would be the real world consequences if dragons were real? And then there's the idea, well, what happened? You know, if they're that real, what happened? Well, let's imply that this is the end of an era, you know, which is in the movie. So mm -hmm. there, there's a theme in there, the rise the Christian era is starting and there's this other magical realm that's on its way out. And so we took these elements and, and um, drummed up this, this story 
And um, we learned um, when we went out to see if we could get to make it that um, in the case of Paramount, they had been trying to get a movie made uh, about a dragon or dragons because the popularity of the game, Dungeons and Dragons, which all kids mm -hmm. were playing all over the US and Canada and still are maybe. <laughs> so so um, that's, that's um, as I recall, the major building blocks of how this thing came together. That's an interesting story. Um, yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, I was surprised when doing the research uh, from the time you wrote it, I think it was like June to August of 79. And then it was pretty much greenlit right after that, if I'm not mistaken, I may have read this incorrectly, but I just wanted to confirm, but it seemed like it was a pretty quick transition from the finishing of the script to the green lighting and getting into production. I don't remember the exact dates. I may, I could look them up the way you did, but um, that's basically, <laughs> that, that's, no, that's basically true. And uh, over the years, uh, I would have to say that it was a remarkably um, uh, rapid um, move into uh, reality compared to so many other projects that I've been involved <laughs> with. And because I know you're probably going to ask about it compared with say Pinocchio, because uh, over the years I've, I've experienced so many roadblocks and hurdles that other projects um, have uh, have had to overcome or even not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Dragon Slayer in that regard was a, um, a very speedy and happy beginning. It was a very tough slog because it was a very ambitious picture, far more ambitious than I think I had realized. It was only my second feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, after after Corvette, Corvette Summer, of course. And, yes. um, and that was, of course, notable being the first post-Star Wars for uh, Mark Hamill, yes. uh, their lead role. And so uh, a lot of people were excited about that when it came out. And I mm -hmm. still enjoy it, as I said earlier. But uh, now the production... Um, I'm sure there was some, it was like you said, unchartered territory with the go motion technique that you were using for the, uh, the to bring the dragon to life. So if you want to talk a little bit about those challenges right quick. Uh, sure. Um, uh, go motion was a way of doing uh, stop motion like it had been done for uh, decades, generations, but to um, um, give fluidity and smoothness to the movement of the creature. And it's done by um, opening the shutter during the movement, even a tiny movement of the puppet, so that the extremities of the wings or the claws or whatever, or the tail that's moving rapidly, they'd actually be blurred. If you held up an, a single frame of the, of, the, of the film and look at it, it would be sharp where motion was slow because it was about a 50th of a second uh, exposure, but that's slow enough so that if there was something happening that was quick, there'd be blur. Well, when you have blur, you're reproducing the look of actual movie film. If you shoot a, a baseball player swinging a bat, that bat is moving quick enough and more often than not, the bat will be a blur. That never could be achieved in traditional stop motion. Stop motion is mm -hmm. the bat would be here and you take a picture of it and then onto the next one, next one, next. the bat is sharp in every picture. So, so they devised um, go motion, which is, I, I don't want to take up a lot of time describing technically how it was done, but it was a revolution prior to the area, uh, arena of digital effects. And uh, ILM and the uh, the team, Phil Tippett, Dennis Murin, Ken Ralston, and uh, Bruce Nicholson, they got an Academy Award nomination for the special effects in the movie 
principally because of the uh, the 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 look uh, that they achieve with it, and it's uh, to this day it's pretty astonishing how, how I, when people talk about um, they love the, uh, the 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 dragon, it's because in large part of the design and also the the technique that was used. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's so much more convincing than. Uh, what we're seeing these days, and the movie is over 40 years old at this point, and it's it still just holds up incredible. It's some of the, the most uh, best use of special effects in as far as uh, bringing a large creature to life, I guess you would say. It's, it's still amazing uh, to behold. Uh, I know we're running quick on time here, and I, I, I want to move it along. I'll just say, uh, how do you feel about the film's place in popular American culture some 40 years on? I know that it wasn't a huge success at the time of its release, but it has definitely gained in stature over the years. And I just thought I would ask uh, your thoughts about that. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I, 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 and my honest answer is that I'm only now, including today, based on the questions I'm getting about the movie, coming to grips with the fact that the film is enjoying something of a revival. Uh, the sales, uh, according to Paramount, uh, of the, of this, uh, the pre-sales have uh, been remarkable. And and uh, there's just squads, uh, a whole generation of uh, who were, <laughs> saw this movie and never forgot it for better or worse. So I'm very gratified, surprised, because frankly, the fact that we worked so hard and we thought we had something so special and it previewed so well, and then it didn't really perform at the box office. And the legacy of the box office disappointment was, was hard to swallow, of course. But then there was what made it worse was that when it was transferred to VHS tape, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was really a mechanical process. It was done robotically. It went so indifferent technically, and I couldn't watch it. And I really didn't want to. I and so I I it was really off my radar. And so it was a big, big surprise and amazing, um, a wonderful surprise that um Paramount and the core group who achieved this uh restoration uh came to me. I didn't go to them and insist on it and ask if you're going to do this. This was something that came from the studio. And um, so it was great that they, not only that they did it, but they invited me. I live in Northern California. I went down several times to LA to sit in. And I, I, they took the lead. I was not charging to, you know, they, they already identified all the map lines and the blocked up shadows and the grainy skies and all the smudgy, blurry, inferior, and even the soundtrack, which is so much better now than it was. This is uh, about as close as you'll ever get to it. Because when it was on the screen in its day, uh, ILM really was a showcase of their work, and and uh, it's the story was mounted in a very um, classy fashion. You'd never know it for all those years that it was out there on those DVDs. So I don't know if I'm really answering the question, except it's a big surprise to find out that it's got all this effect, all these affectionate fans, and rest, but that um, it's going to be seen finally in a proper proper form. I'm I'm really uh, could not be more delighted. Well, you definitely earned a place in, in American culture, that's for sure, because people do fondly remember this film, and uh, we, we grew up seeing it on HBO and, and the like, and it is just, you know, it, we love it, and we love your work. So anyway, thanks. Uh, it's been such an honor to talk to you and to uh, get to ask you a few questions. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't be more pleased. Thanks for, uh, thanks for some good questions, by the way. They were great. Okay. Thank you. Right. I appreciate yeah. it. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.